Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. You are listening to a podcast by Pastor Eric Seepin and Pastor Andy Littleton. If you enjoy Faith Over Breakfast, we encourage you to rate it on the Apple Podcast app, on Spotify, or Google Play. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. My name is Eric Seepin, and I'm pastor at the Village Church in Tucson, Arizona. And across from me is Andy Littleton, the pastor of Mission Church. We are each one of the pastors. One there. of the pastors, yeah. And uh, we do have the unique privilege of being one of the founding pastors yes. of each of these churches. Old guys. Uh, mine is 21 22 years old and yours is what five well if you go ten. All the, 10 years 10 then. for my plant and if you were going uh epicenter the other church we merged with it's uh longer was it gosh 15 15 it's been around yeah. so these are churches with some some longevity to yeah. them yeah. i mean short-term longevity but longevity yeah. nonetheless That's, there's some jevity there's some jevity and uh you and i've been together chatting for like five six years now yeah banging it seems out. like it'll never end no yeah <laughs> That's what Andy keeps telling me this year. We got to end this thing. I'm like, I'm just going to keep talking on this mic. You can show up. Eric's like, no, this is really important to me. So, which, you know, I enjoy it. To frame our conversation, uh, I, very good. Uh, I'm, we started off with our, talking about our sermon series about encountering God. We end up in some of the societal, um, yeah, factors into why we are doing this. Eric talks about how they'd done similar things over the years and why. And uh, yeah, if you're interested in kind of the spiritual climate these days and sure. how a couple of us are thinking about speaking to that, this is a great right. podcast and for we, you. And we promise, other than this, we didn't talk about Taylor Swift. So it no was T-Swift. No T-Swift. All right. And as as we always do, this is this is our premise. Did we come in here scripted? No, we didn't. We never will. So this is a breakfast table conversation. Um, I had just finished my yogurt parfait before we started. And I was working on my coffee and tea. So. Yeah. And uh, it and so imagine you walk into uh, you walk into you know Alice's diner down the street. There we are sitting at a table just catching up, and there's an extra seat, and you just slide in. That's that's this podcast. That is. All right. Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. Thanks. We're in the opulent studios of the villagers. Yeah, wow. It's back around. It's very opulent. Yeah. Um, You know, I I recall there was going to be a video element someday. Yeah, I have talked to the the video people, and they're like, hmm. The video people. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're like, well, we need better cameras. And I'm like, hmm. Okay, maybe I can find one. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So well, here we are. Audio only. I kinda like it. I think my volume's really low. Just seems like it. Is that is that it, a thing? It's all correctable. Yeah, okay. Oh, cool. Um well yeah, what's what's going on, man? What's going on? Well you you're headed out of town. Where are you going? Oh, I'm just going up to a spring training game because it's rodeo break. Oh, right. It is rodeo break. So yeah. for those who don't live in Tucson, we get two days off for rodeo break. And so this Friday, my daughter's off and my wife's not working. And Wow, that's that's like a great a great moment. Yeah, so we're, we're going to cruise up to a to spring training game number two, but number one for our team. So 
So you guys are your whole family's baseball fans, or are they do they just uh, they deal with it? Yeah, deal with it. Yeah, they. I would say. Um, well, my wife grew up going to some games in St. Louis, so it's not a bad um, experience. So it has like, good memories. Yeah, it has to good it. has good memories. Her brother's a much bigger fan, but she she enjoys it. And okay. then, um, yeah, and my daughter plays softball, and I think she she likes to. I think she likes to attend games more than just watch them. She's 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 into it. Yeah. yeah, but but yeah, I'm the I'm the driver of this. Yeah, I, I figured. I figured. Yeah. So um, since we're you know you wanted to be out, of, you wanted to leave Tucson at nine fifteen, or you wanted to be done at nine fifteen? I wasn't sure about the text. Done though. here at nine fifteen. Right, right. Yeah. So we got a little bit of time. Yeah. To do this this podcast. Yeah. But it had uh, you wanted to talk about. Encounters with Jesus, which is a or how I don't know how you guys phrase it. We phrased our sermon series on that uh, a year ago or two years ago called Encounters with Jesus. Oh, you did? Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, oh, so interesting. We, maybe that's just what I had in my head when we created this one. I was yeah, just ripping you off, actually ripping us off. But yeah, and uh, I also wanted to talk about uh, I don't know, maybe just a little bit touch on the rise of masculinity as a popular subject and why it becomes is becoming more and more popular. So maybe, you know, oh, Jesus is yeah. a male and so we could link those two together. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, there you go. But we'll start with, you're doing this series. I will have to confess that I do actually sometimes listen to your guys' sermons. I have not listened to this sermon series. Wow. Those. I, I see the uh, social media. So I, I saw that you're having people tell their stories alongside, yes. um, the the sermons themselves yeah I, I guess that's what i wanted to talk about and you know in in uh in the spirit of what we do on this podcast i'm uh i'm not coming to you know give you a speech on this i'm just thinking about it so this is this is a newer thing for us it's not that groundbreaking really but we're trying to attach people's stories throughout the year on when they feel like they've encountered jesus and so we've we talked about this it took a little while for some people to actually do it i would say first of all because i was trying to theme things so when somebody came and they said well this is a really important spiritual moment you know maybe i schedule them in august or something because it fit better but um but also i think as we've had a couple of the stories um told here in february all of a sudden other people are like oh me too i've got one it's kind of brought out other people's stories yeah yeah and so one of the things we said as we were promoting this is is we are going to go through just the whole gospel of mark and we're just going to look at um the ways people encounter jesus and we're going to talk about some of the ways we've encountered jesus and so there are definitely a number of dramatic you know time like we're in mark one and going into two and so there's a lot of you've got demon possessions and healings and things of this nature that honestly in a church like ours make people a little squirmish because they're I don't know that we have anybody that wants to deny any of that stuff, but also we have we definitely have a lot of people who've seen the church just go full bore into like that's what it means to engage with Christianity is to talk about that, think about it all the time. And so we said in Mark, you're going to see people encounter Jesus in saying things they don't want him to say and um, not. Um, delivering the way they hope he would deliver. So some of the encounters aren't just these dramatically positive experiences. Some of them are a little disorienting. Some of them are 
um, difficult. And those ring true in our lives too. So I hope we see some of those stories and that the stories aren't all just cut and dry um, stories of, you know, winning us spiritually, but sometimes of where the encounter with Jesus made us reconsider or think. So we've cast it that way and we'll see. We've had two stories. They've been more on the God did an amazing thing side. Um, I told a story too, so three. But um, yeah, anyway, we're doing that. And since you're my friend, thought I'd just, you know, see what you think of this. And if you, I was wondering if you'd noticed that we're sharing those stories on social media, which is different for us. Yeah, you guys, yeah. Gary, you're, you're acting as uh, as, a, as a good millennial church Are now. We? You're, 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 we finally got on board with being millennials. Media. It's very, well, very, well, how I know is that it's like, it's not the slick big church social media and it's not like sort of the wacky gen x social media it's it's millennials so it's yeah. very uh it looks very curated oh thank you yeah mm-hmm. well it helps to have a somebody overseeing social media who is it was well, a different person doing social media who likes and to so curate and things. likes to curate and i i'm frankly really enjoying that so that's awesome that shows that though i part. am on the cusp of being in gen x and millennial that my millennial side is fully curated curated and engaged yeah <laughs> Yes. Yeah. No. It's, uh, I've noticed um, it. Okay. So. So. Yeah. So tell me what you've noticed. What have you noticed? Well, no. Uh, I just noticed that that's the now I know the sermon series you're on. Now you know. That was about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I mean, you've mentioned countering Jesus, and and I had a thought. I'm like, oh, what if he got that from us? Obviously not. No, I didn't. That's hilarious. Our, our it, subtly, perhaps, was yeah. very different because we didn't go through a book. Oh, okay. So what? So what was yours like? I mean, I, I think probably following the same kind of idea, but we picked out, I think, eight like dramatic encounters mm. and walked through them. Um, and that was just sort of like, because our goal was uh, kind of coming from this idea that we tend to reduce the gospel to the very last part of the story, uh-huh. which yeah. is the, the, the most dramatic part of the story. Yeah the death and resurrection, but a lot of times we aren't as conversant with what's happening yeah. and, and we struggle to put ourselves into those stories. And yet the, probably one of the most helpful things to do is find yourself in the different spaces and allow the words of Jesus to be yeah. discipling words, so to speak. So like maybe, you know, the sto- famous stories, like, you know, all the disciples in the boat and the storm, and Jesus is sleeping. Well, that is that we find ourselves in that space a lot of the time. That's why the disciples put it in the yeah. story was it was significant in their learning to trust Jesus. Yeah. We sometimes think that somehow we're supposed to read it all, bypass the process and just embrace Jesus on the cross and right. in the tomb. But actually the gospels are there to disciple you. They're there to help you meet Jesus. But if you're not able to move past the academic reading of them and just step into the story and let it shape you let the words of jesus be to you and yeah. at a certain level i mean i get that the the gospels i mean actually you could probably say that the gospels are written more to us as a target audience than say paul's letters yeah oh uh, right? yeah that's i right. think because i think the gospels are a proclamation of the good news to all people 
Yes, they have audiences that they were driven to, but they're much broader mm-hmm. than, say, I mean, Paul is writing to the Ephesians, or Paul yeah. is writing to a collection of churches. About very specific yeah. um, issues. And he, I mean, you could say that his intent, not that the, these words couldn't be applied to other churches. The churches clearly thought that because they kept them and shared them with other sure. churches, circulated them. But his intent was to give specific direction to specific people um, that could be applied elsewhere. And I mean, I think why I like your idea of encounters with Jesus and then having people tell stories is that as someone who's grown up in the church, I would argue that the church is much more in love with Paul's letters than it is with the first four gospels a lot Mm. of times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know you're right. Because the letters tell you what to do. The gospels invite you into a relationship and sometimes that's harder to yeah because jesus is actually hard he's like very very enticing and hard to digest yeah Yeah. oh he right he doesn't um he doesn't give these clear doctrinal paths he doesn't um yeah it's it's far more he's far more of an enigmatic figure um not that there aren't teachings and you could clearly see that he's opposing something or promoting something it's it doesn't cut up the way that that paul tends to do it where it's like this is you shouldn't do this you should do this you know Mm -hmm. he doesn't spend as much time there it's he's demonstrating um far more than he's articulating i would say yeah well and he's just telling so many stories yeah yep yeah and and, you know and there you get that the stories are geared towards the people that are listening they're very culturally relevant Mm -hmm. stories Um, yeah one one of the things that so I have not done, I've, let's see, in my younger years, I did a, a whole series on Luke. I think I did one on John. Then two, I did, went through Matthew for, that took a long time, um, probably right before we merged churches. So our second year of planting, we did Matthew. And so hadn't come around to doing Mark. And one of the things that has struck me in my study of it. I picked a couple of commentaries. One was more technical, RT France, and then the other was a little more, um, well, Ben Witherington, a little, a little more engaging with the, the socio, well, political climate of the day, kind of opening Mm -hmm. those sides up to it. And, and I use my Logos Bible software, which has seven or eight other options. I don't, um, I don't, I try to be careful not to just, teach what's in there because uh, those commentaries are thick and academic. Anyway, one of the things that jumped out at me was that Mark especially seems to be written in an ancient biographical mode. Um, and then it sort of shifts when it gets into the passion narrative and slows down and draws it out um, in more of a theatrical mode. And I had to dig in a little bit to this, but are we like to read things scientifically or like you're just trying to get the point at the end that's how especially people of our day would read an article sure it's like okay just tell me what the point is at the end and we tend to read the gospels this way like you were saying or if we deep read we tend to look for all of the we want to see facts that line up with reality like what's a good history it's going to get the facts right if it doesn't you're going to rip it to shreds um an ancient biography, it, this isn't to say they're accurate or inaccurate, they're just their goal was different. The, the goal was usually to present short stories that exemplified something really important 
that were meant for the reader to listen to and then ask the question, how do I emulate the hero in the story or something to that effect? Sure. And um, and that's that really makes more sense of Mark when, I, when I'm reading it that way. And some of the ways it does or doesn't align with some of the other gospels is it's not attempting to unpack all of the details of the day or exactly which, like we just read when Jesus casts out the unclean spirit um, of the man who comes into the synagogue and it's talking all about Jesus' teaching, but it doesn't say what it was. It never says what he was teaching. It doesn't Other gospels actually might tell you mm-hmm. from that moment. We're not 100% sure, but right. pretty sure. But, um, but Mark's not trying to get you to know all the facts. Uh, he's trying to demonstrate to you that Jesus is someone who you'd experience as having great authority. Right. And that's that's the idea, is that you want to come away going, what, first of all, asking the question, what is he teaching? And then second of all, to say, wow, this this man has authority. What should I do with his life that I'm about to read about? Yeah. What should I do with this fact that this man with such great authority submits to a Roman cross? What What do I do with that? And so that has helped me, and I've been trying to transmit that to the church, to read the Bible better, I think, and and engage in that. And so then when we think about some of the experiences we've had, to try to think about them in similar ways or tell them in similar ways, you know, when you tell something that you've experienced with God, whether it's I read a scripture and it had a deep impact on me or I... um you know, really considered the teachings of Jesus and wrestled with it for three years. And when I finally applied it, this is what happened. Or or I was terrified and I called out on the name of Jesus and he helped me right there in the moment, whatever it is. Um, stories like that invite people to, to wonder, what if that, what would it look like for me to try relationship with Jesus? And then I think as moderns, we are in a little different space where we have to also say, this isn't formulaic. Um, you don't, you can't just, you know, I think the mystical people of our day want a spell that works every time. Um, and the, and the scientific people of our day want a formula. Right. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's something that's been cool thinking about this. So you, when you decided to do your series, why, why did you think like encountering Jesus was a good topic for a church like yours and a culture like ours in a time like this? <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I, that particular series, um, we were, I mean, you got to understand that I'd say 75% of the philosophy of the church at the village works around the hot seat model that that we've developed like theologically it does so so you're gonna have to break that down real fast for our listeners in japan listeners in japan okay so i mean it's all over things that i produce but it is uh, a model to help people better understand the gospel in their everyday life Mm -hmm. that's the basic idea and a lot of it has to do with immersing yourself in the stories Mm -hmm. and being able to be there and so that's why we wanted to to teach on it was to help people immerse themselves in the story of Jesus yeah, and expand their understanding of the gospel story mm-hmm. because it, it doesn't, the gospel, the gospel marks a good one, right? And you know, very first chapter he opens up and says, 
and what 13, 14 and or 14 and 15 verses 14 and 15 it's like you know this this is the gospel yeah. right like jesus begins to announce his ministry he asks people to repent and believe in the gospel so that's the whole narrative yeah and i think it, it doesn't start right before jesus heads into the cross he doesn't say and this is the gospel now right right so, the whole thing is the gospel. Yeah. yeah and i think everything is significant when you were talking about the Gospel of Mark and just reading it from a literary perspective, like we're going through the Gospel of John, and um, Scott Knight had written a book on Revelation, I think, or Romans, reading Romans backwards, I think is what he, he, he titled it. But he was talking about Revelation and how Revelation is designed the same way, mm-hmm. that you can read it backwards. And I started looking at the Gospel of John, and what I realized is John is writes this beautiful piece of literature that can be read forward and backward. Mm. And so once you understand, you read it one direction and you see the signs and you see all the little things that he's doing, then when you read it in light of the resurrection and go the other way, it begins to like bring all the things he's doing to light in a new way. And then you hit the very end or the beginning where there's this amazing song which announces who Jesus yeah. actually is. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just, when you, when you begin to see that, yes, these are true stories, but they're arranged in, in the ancient ways yeah, to tell than, something. Yeah. They're not just doing an A to B to C, and that's the end of the story. Yes, mostly they follow, they do follow a narrative line yeah. that has a beginning and an end. It's just... They're ordering events in order to make that story communicate something different. And one of our failures is we think that we, um, that humanity has progressed. And so I think this, I'm talking about we generally. And we tend to think like we're reading something ancient and simple. And we're reading it through our modern and um, sophisticated eyes. The truth is when it came to writing well, um, that may have actually reversed entirely. I think that the, <laughs> I mean, if you just think about the conditions, right? right? I mean, ancient people, I mean, their their lives are not full of distraction. The Something that's written is very difficult to do. It's very difficult to produce. And so you would think about it a long time before you would write it. And you would work it out over and over because you can't just type stuff out and try it and write stuff out and try it. By the time pen you know pen meets parchment it has to be where you think it's actually very very valuable and and again at the time and they they didn't have this sense of you know you need to hurry this up and some of these things were probably rehearsed as stories many times before they ended up captured in the way that we read re- that we read them and so you have something like you know, the 119th Psalm or even the 31st Proverb um, that we read and we go like, oh, interesting. You know, I think I could probably write that pretty quick. And then you learn about its structure mm-hmm. and, you know, the alphabet acrostic and how much thought had to go into each line. Sure. And this is actually extremely sophisticated stuff. So it wouldn't, it doesn't surprise me at all that somebody might in, in the ancient times think, I'd like this to read forward and backward. Um you know, just just to make it meaningful and to make it stick. I was thinking we were talking about Genesis one in the class I'm doing, and because I've taken some writing classes, I've thought about you know there there are just ways to tell stories that make them um, draw people in and remember it. 
And if Genesis one is trying to cast, you know, in a in a, and it's a different or Gen- Genesis one through two three or four, if it's trying to cast um, the the big idea of creation to people in an extremely memorable way, um, th- you might employ some literary methods and some memorable cadences to do that. That would be, right. and and it probably w- had been such for a long time before it you know entered into its written form and that doesn't mean it's less accurate it it, it means it's great literature uh, it means it was really well done and then you have to ask as our professor is so good about saying um, you interpret the bible well when you ask what is the what is it trying to portray mm-hmm. when you can answer that question you can interpret it well but um but yeah that those those types of thoughts as I'm approaching the the gospel of mark and thinking about ancient biography it it's made it better. Yeah. Yeah. Um even if you know there are details that aren't there uh that, that's probably for the best as far as remembering goes. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean you were telling a good story. I don't if I'm telling a story about how I met my wife and how we um fell in love, I don't say I probably never say and she was five eight, and these are her measurements, and this is her. And I gait. picked her up, and the address was this. Yes, yeah. And by the way, oh yes, I was kind of tired that day, and yeah. I and the car hadn't had an oil change. Yeah, and people are lost already, right? <laughs> right. If you start doing that, this story is not going to stick. But they, if they are sitting and they manage to listen to me that whole time, they are, may actually have a very accurate picture right. of, of what happened. Yeah. But they don't have an accurate picture of what was. Yeah. And, and and that's, again, like if we we read the Gospels and we think, oh, this is a, this is a historical record. Well, not exactly. It, it's not that it's not. It, those are historical things that happen. And we might be getting a truer sense. Yeah. It's like when you, when you take a, mo- a book and turn it into a movie. A good movie gives you almost a better feel than the book, even right. though it's going to remove a lot of details. Yeah. Now... That's that often doesn't you, happen. You may that often just, doesn't happen. You may have just start a big controversy yeah. right now. It, it's it actually sure. rarely occurs because a book, right. but but it's not because the book is giving you more historical facts. Actually, I should say this: take a historical record of an event and a movie about the event. Which one's going to give you the better feel? Yeah, that's probably what I yeah. should rather than a great novel. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think I think that's I think it's very true. I think too, like when reading ancient texts, you can say the New Testament or you read the Old Testament. Um, Things have changed, right? right? So, for instance, I, I, I've been reading uh, the Paradise King, which, if you haven't read it, you should. It is one of the best books uh, ever written. I was, uh, I was recalling what you said about it the other day. Yes, but he says in his footnotes, and I think it's interesting. You know, he he makes this argument: if I if I go and I buy some meat at the store, I don't know hardly anything about cuts. I may know a few cuts. But I so what the words that I use for the cuts are very generalized. Yeah. It's a piece of steak. It's a roast. But if I'm a butcher, right, I have all these detailed words and all these ways of explaining every single cut. Yeah. And and people can begin to argue about the minutia, but they also know what I'm talking about. If I'm a butcher and I say this cut versus yeah. this cut. Well, if you read the ancient texts, when it comes to spiritual things, so when it comes to the names of God, when it comes to all those kinds of things, they all have a very complex like language that they're interacting with that we have no concept of. We yeah. don't understand. Um, we have better now that we've, thanks to the Egyptians and the Babylonians, we can kind of 
understand a little bit of how that that language is working in the descriptions of God and in the descriptions of the demonic. But that's just one aspect. Yeah. Of, we're reading ancient texts, and um, we're begin. So it's important that they stay. They're true, but they stay as a story, and we get kind of wrapped up in them and understand that we are. We're never going to get to the bottom of them. Mm. Like I think sometimes I feel like when I listen to people who are really working hard to like figure it all out yeah. that that there's some belief I'm going to get the bottom of it. I'm going to figure out exactly what Genesis every little word there means and how it's and like you can't even get to the bottom of your relationship with your mother, right? No, I can't. <laughs> I'm not talking to you. I mean, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, but I think like I remember, I don't know, I just, when I read Genesis 1 now, I can read Genesis 1 and 2 over and over again. And it's just this this, this cosmic story that you get so enthralled in. And maybe it's just because I'm a pastor, but I just love it. But I don't love it because I want to dissect it for its scientific or Mm -hmm. its, I don't know, I just, I want to get lost in what God is doing. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know, maybe I went off in the wrong direction there. But anyway, that's what I was thinking. Um. Yeah. Yeah, so I I think that this th- everything that we're saying here also to me why are we doing this uh in a time such as this oh, yeah. in a church Let me such ask as you ours? That. Oh, thanks. Why are you guys that's, doing this encountering yeah. Jesus? That's series. a great that's a great question, Eric. Thanks yeah. for asking. Uh-huh. Um it, it but it is getting at what we're saying right here. The there is I think a good shift where um I think the younger generations and older um, taking cues from the younger sometimes are rethinking the way that we, um, yeah, that we engage with God and are thinking, uh, have seen the pathways and the ways that churches have um, done it and have, um, you know, so so think about what I was kind of sharing at the beginning that I, I have some nerves about sharing these encounters with Jesus because I've seen it become the dominant way of, you know, so, so Pentecostalism, right. For me, mm-hmm. it was, um, mega church Pentecostalism, especially, uh, to me was not a good experience. Yeah. It, it felt like we were manufacturing, um, emotional experiences and that sure. it, it can be very damaging. I, I felt offended by it to some degree and like kind of periphery on the periphery because I didn't want to fake it. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I couldn't really be in these places. Sure even though that's where, in a way, where I'd grown up. And then, um, but then you end up, uh, say, in something like, you know, a very staunch community of reformed uh, scholars, right? And it, at first that can feel, at least that was one of my journeys. There's other ways you could you could go into the uh, Wesleyan scholars. I'm sure it's the same, right? But you uh, you go, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to know my stuff, you know. I'm going mm-hmm. to I'm gonna, I'm gonna know my theology i'm gonna be smart you know and and i'm not gonna do that crazy stuff well the you start realizing the facts i just read an anthony bradley uh sub stack about the gospel coalition mm-hmm. and his some of his reflections and one of the things he said is he said i this group and i think he was he he had been in those circles for some time thought that if you got the gospel facts right, it would change you. And that has just proved to not be enough. Um, you know, in their journey, the, the various leaders who mm-hmm. didn't, whose lives weren't 
Christ-like, though they had the facts, right? And he was just saying that's a lesson to learn from that journey is getting, yeah, having the articles and the details and the facts is not all there is to it. And I think that as for those of us in the church reflecting back on some of those movements that often ran parallel to one another, we're going, okay, maybe it's not one or the other. I think that's happening. And then I think our culture as a whole is looking at, does science answer our questions? I think the pandemic is an excellent illustration of this. Um, so, you know, you may look at the pandemic and say science was right and people denied it. You may look at the pandemic from a different angle and say the science said something else and people ignored it. But what we can all agree on, I think, is that science didn't change our hearts. It, right. it didn't move us to, it didn't fix us. Right. You know? Sure. Um, neither did historical reporting. Right. Or it, none of those things changed us. We we could take them, we could manipulate them, we could use them however we wanted. Right. And so I think we're actually in a unique time where, I, and I Andrew Root got me thinking about some of this when I talked or went to a, a talk with him over the summer, but a, a time where people are, maybe the rationalism of our time is the cracks are, are mm. widening significantly and people are leaning into the idea of encountering God. Now the difference that this is, this was true historically in other periods of time, but there was more of a sense that there was a God who could be found mm. today. I think in our culture that rationalism is cracking and the sense is there are um, innumerable options of spirits that can be found. And, and I see that as a real opportunity and problem. Um, I think, I think the engagement of just the whole spiritual realm that we're seeing in our culture is going to lead to some, some darkness. Um, Hmm. but also, uh, as believers, so that's to, to, to me, why we're doing encountering Jesus, but we're anchoring it in a book of the Bible and in Jesus himself Hmm. is trying to say, you're right, that it's the rationalism and the pure experientialism isn't enough, um, so we're gonna we're gonna present Jesus right. specifically coming from the scripture, but not denying the experiential side of this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I have this weird experience. I'm now fifty one. I'll be fifty two. And when I was when in the mid nineties, yeah. when I was doing college ministry, and I was twenty five, and then planting a church a little later, um, what I thought was that wow you know we're doing stuff differently yeah and we're really looking into stuff and we're changing and, we, and, and we're having these conversations about narratives and we're yeah saying a lot of what you're saying um and we're reading foster and we're doing spiritual yeah. disciplines um and we're working with what i think i probably said what you said yeah and I had people come along and say, oh, yeah, we, we did that in the early 80s and uh-huh. the late 70s. Yeah, you know, like we were yeah. part of that kind of movement. And I'm like, nah, you weren't, you weren't, you weren't part of that movement. You weren't like us. Yeah. Right? Because I was a good Gen Xer. Yeah. I'm like, you know, whatever. We're, yeah. We're the first. <laughs> we're the first. But then I had this experience, a little bit of just listening to you, but I had this experience watching an interview with John Mark Comer. Yeah. Comer, Comer, however you say his name, 
who all he really is is the yeah. new Foster. Yeah, yeah. Right? He's nothing new. Yeah. And Spiritual disciplines. He's yeah. saying yeah. things that I was saying in the mid-90s, like verbatim, as yeah. if he went back and listened to my sermons. Right. And listened to the things I was saying. And what I realized, this coincided with reading a book where the author, I heard an interview with her, and she was talking about writing her book and talking to publishers and saying, why, why should I write yeah. a book? And... I, every, everything's already been said mm. and there is and it they, needs to be said again <laughs> they said every generation needs yeah. a library yeah and yeah. you have to re-say yes. what the last generation said and we wouldn't they need their own library with just it's with the slight the slight nuances i'm sure it's adapted. written yep. to that people yep. and i think that's so rich i think it's true and yeah. and very helpful for me as a gen xer who's like you no know, I'm I'm better than all of you because I don't care. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, at some level, that's that's yeah. the mindset that is there, and that somehow I'm inventing something new. I mean, it's harder to be the older person who, yeah, I think I have created a few things that are different, but it's harder to be the older person and be like, oh yeah, it's just all going to be repeated now. Yeah. Only now, oh, yeah. like I've been passed by at some level. You know, yeah. the the I'm speaking to a different group of people. And the other little statistic that's interesting, I know I'm going off on a side thing here, but your generation or the one that you're on the cusp of, so but the one you minister to, yes, it's coming back to church yeah. in ways. 30-year-olds yeah. are coming back and they're taking charge of the church. Yeah. Um, and I think that's great. I think boomers, like the Gen Xers are still there and they're just leveled out. Boomers are, are leaving. Yeah. You know, they talk about the the nuns and the and the the deconstruction. A lot of that is actually the older people yeah. who are deconstructing. I've I've observed that I, the denomination we're connected to. That's very much what it feels like. And yeah, and so it's like, but it gets presented as a young person thing. But and it is. There are some young people yeah, who are disillusioned and and they're but no doubt. But yeah. they are not necessarily the people who are in mass deconstructing. Yeah, it is the boomers who are deconstructing. Our parents and our grandparents mm-hmm. are deconstructing. And I think that's, a, that's just a, we're in an interesting time in the church yep. where I do think where where spirituality, like an openness to an experience, is really well. That's beginning to like yeah. bubble up from the surface. That same openness is probably why some of the older generation is deconstructing. Because sure. I think I think in their church experience, they're well, just even in the their national experience as Americans, if they are it would be less um, okay to change your mind or to try stuff. Today, that's... That's okay. That is utter... It's, in fact, if you're not doing it... Yeah, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you in our yeah. in our culture. Sure. And so I think older people who have lived under that forever, some of them are kind of going like, eh, I think I can... I can do what these young kids are doing, you know, and try something else. Well, and uh, that's... That's kind of interesting. It is. And I think the other thing that's, and this is true, like even for church planting and for, is that choice, the amount of choice that you have in all the different categories. So even, so when I, and that's, that's one of the challenges. Living in the 80s. Yes. I could go to the grocery store and it hasn't changed that much. Yeah. I mean, there are a heck of a lot more specialty grocery stores. Oh yeah. But there, there was a lot of choice. Yeah. But a lot of other areas of my life, even think about school, I had no choice. Yeah. If I wanted to go to another school, my parents had to do all this like stuff to petition and maybe I could get into another school. Right. But no, I had to go to the school that was in my neighborhood. 
Yeah. There's now school choice. I mean, we everything has choice. It's and, funny. Cruz was asking me um, about my favorite places downtown when I was younger, and I was trying to think of like restaurants, and I, <laughs> I was like, "Well, there was the Grill, right? The Grill, <laughs> right?" And I was, and I was like struggling to come up with at certain eras if there were. Now there were a couple, but not very many. Now, like, Magpies. what's what's a and that even fourth was fourth half. half. Yeah. What's what's expected now? It's that there'd be like fifty. Yes. restaurants downtown mm-hmm. you know and and yeah. how much is um i i love spiritualizing these conversations but really um how much of that is the values of our day that says oh like the we need to have such an amount of choice in front of us uh that that you can almost i, I can't even get to all the restaurants in a one square mile area it's overwhelming to me to go to the mall yeah well yeah. i mean i've just noticed so this is the word a weird side thing but one of my main hobbies is playing board games i yeah. love board games i've designed them and everything well now i have about a hundred board yeah. games and i've tried to keep it capped there i was thinking the other day i need to bring it down because yeah. it produces so much anxiety which one to yeah well just even what i'm like i want to play a game which game should i play with who would i want to play that with what Oh, like it just produces where if I have yeah. three games, then that's all I have to play. Yeah. So I'll play Settlers of Catan again, right? Because that's but, all I got to but, play. But your familiarity with it might mean that the game playing experience actually gets better. A, you can tweak your strategy. B, yeah, sir. whoever you're with, you can actually engage with them because right. you're not learning a new game every time. Exactly. I don't, by the way, as a non-game playing person, I don't like learning new games. When people people be like, I have a new game. Like, I don't want to do that. Like, I can't relax with you now. I have to figure out this game. That's not <laughs> like. Can you bring out the Scrabble? Like, I know how to play Scrabble. You know, can can we do? I don't know. Connect four. Connect four. Yeah. So the, I was gonna say Scrabble just produces anxiety for me, so I'm not playing that game. Okay. That was even before I had a lot of games. Okay. Well, <laughs> but, yeah. And Scrabble's not. Yeah, you, know, you can only have so many people involved. In Scrabble. Right. Yeah, but no, I hear what you're saying from so many different aspects. And of I think that's true spiritually. Mm-hmm. So I think our current day right now is uniquely saturated with spiritual options. Mm-hmm. I, that might be, not that that wasn't true of your day. There are definitely, th- th- these are cycles for sure. Um, but it feels like the the smorgasbord of spiritual options is heightened. Right. And I think that is... A challenge and will so and if you just think about it i mean in a day where we need to value pluralism in a day where you know the you think 10 years ago the sticker on the back of the car is tolerance and the idea is all religions mm-hmm. work together you a you don't see those very often anymore mm-hmm. because we we've seen no you shouldn't that doesn't work that doesn't work you some things ought not to be tolerated um but i think in our day we're going to have to present um things we actually believe to be true in right. in the midst of the smorgasbord. Well, well and, and I know that when we planted the village, we were talking about like smorgasbord faith where, you know, you can like go and pick uh, out and construct create your own. Your own. But that was Sizzler. Do you remember yeah. Sizzler? Oh, I, a, I went to one in Puerto Rico. They still have them there. Right. But, the, but, but Sizzler cannot hold a candle to the tomato place. Whatever was the name? The, sweet tomatoes. Sweet tomatoes. The, the options that sweet tomatoes are like all over the place. 
Yeah. Well, well, what about hometown buffet? Right. Yeah. And then you got hometown buffet. So like, that's where I feel like we are now. We're in the hometown buffet. Yeah. We started which, out. Which, by the way, which, by the way, speaking of, of religious falsehoods, hometown buffet, that's not nobody's hometown. Okay. <laughs> No, that that no, is a false claim. Nobody's hometown is like this. No. Until they get a hometown buffet, and then they're yeah. Yeah. And well then you're just like all the other hometowns, which is the epitome of having lose having lost your hometown identity. So uh yeah. Spiritualize that. That would be pretty hilarious if every hometown buffet had to only serve the things of that hometown. Yeah. Like the ours so it would was just be all, all Mexican. All Mexican food. Yeah. 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 But the little tiny, you know, like hybrid stuff here and there. Yeah, <laughs> it's a side oh. of chicken fried steak. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, we we uh, I think we went all over the place. I'm so excited that you're doing Encounters with Jesus. I'm so excited you did it last year. Yeah, or I think it was two years ago. Two years. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for talking, man. Good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you. Well, remember if you uh, if you enjoy Faith Over Breakfast, sharing it goes a long way. Uh, it rating it goes a long way. Uh, writing reviews goes a long way. And if you wonder if we're ever going to talk about the thing you'd like us to talk about, email. emailing us, faithoverbreakfast at gmail.com. This is a test. This, Send yeah. us an email. Yeah, that goes a long way. So you can do all those things, and um, and we would be very grateful. So thanks for tuning in, and we will see you yeah, soon. See you soon. You've been listening to Faith Over Breakfast with Pastor Eric Siepen and Pastor Andy Littleton. Please share us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you.